My name is Scott Gilliland. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Lover's Lane. And uh, as Reagan said earlier, uh, we get to co-pastor this service uh, together that we call Thrive. And uh, we are finishing up our sermon series called Fixer Upper. We uh, branded it kind of like the TV show, looking at uh, how we can be a lot like um, the houses that Chip and Joanna Gaines, uh, they see the potential in a house that may not look like much at first, but by the end of the episode, any of us would be happy to move in. Um, when God sees us, even though we may not always uh, be in the best condition, God always sees the potential. And uh, we've been talking these last uh, seven weeks uh, now for uh, about uh, different, really heart conditions that um, that need to change, right? That that God sees the potential for change within us. And so this week we're going to talk about laziness, uh, which is is front of mind for me this week because a little window into my life. Um, you know, we're we're a month away now uh, from uh, our our baby being born, uh, and so. Uh, I think my body is like preparing by wanting to hold on to every moment of sleep that it possibly can right now, knowing that like we're about to enter into, you know, the, the season of sleep deprivation, uh, which is just so much fun. And, um, and, and in the mornings, like it's become really hard for me to wake up. And what's awesome is that my daughter, Andy, who's three and a half, has learned in, in the last couple of weeks how to just help herself to food from the fridge in the morning. And I noticed I said food and not breakfast, right? Um, because, like, I'll wake up and, uh, and Andy will be at my bed, you know, waking me up. She always wakes me up. Um, and uh, I, I guess she's just nicer to Reagan, lets her sleep in more. Daddy, daddy. Yes, sweetie. And, uh, you know, the sun is up, the sun is up, and it's like 7.30, I'm thinking, wow, she really slept in this morning. And then I'll walk into the kitchen, and there's like a Tupperware of mac and cheese that's been left over that's just open with her little fork in it, and uh, a Tupperware of like some fish sticks, you know, classic breakfast foods, you know. And I'm like, Andy, what's this? She goes, oh, yeah, I, I ate mac and cheese and fish sticks. I'm like, okay, um, that's awesome, actually, uh, because you let me sleep some more and let me be lazy. Uh, so I, I'm really thankful this week for a daughter that lets her dad be a little bit lazy in the mornings. No judgment from you. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of vitamins in mac and cheese and fish sticks that get her body going in the mornings. You know, it's fine. It's fine. Um, laziness is one of these interesting topics, right? Because I think for a lot of us, this is uh, one that we don't talk a lot about because it seems really benign, you know? Um, but it's really not, and we're going to talk about why today. Um, I know of all of the topics we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, or last few weeks rather, um, laziness is probably the one that I may struggle with the most. Um, I like to think that I work smart and not hard, but man, I can take that to the extreme, right? Um, anybody else where laziness is, is maybe, if you're being honest with yourself, that, that's probably something that you struggle with a lot. So our scripture this morning is going to be uh, Psalm 51. Uh, this is a Psalm of David. Uh, but it's from a very specific time in his life, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, so we're going to see Psalm 51 on the screens. If you've got it in your Bibles, you can open up to Psalm 51. Um, and before we do that, let's say a word of prayer and invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of this time of Scripture reading. Gracious God, we give you thanks for today. We give you thanks for really every day, but especially days when we can uh, come to a place uh, like church, a faith community that we feel supported in and encouraged in. Um, and where we can stop and pause and reflect. And so, God, we just ask that you'd meet us in this time of reflection um, as we consider what your words mean for us today so that they might change the way we live tomorrow. Um, God, as we 
consider and wrestle with this topic of laziness? Would you this morning uh, reignite something in our hearts uh, that turns us back to you in a new and refreshed way so that we could once again find uh, the purpose that we need in this life that we know we find in you? We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So, um, Psalm 51 says this, and I'm reading just a, a few selected verses here. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And then it goes on to say, You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. The word of God for the people of God, let us say. Thanks be to God. So um, this psalm, like I said before, it comes to us in a very specific moment in David's life. And in fact, your Bible probably says this at the start of the psalm. This psalm was written uh, from the perspective of David um, after having been confronted by a man named Nathan, um, who was a prophet um, who was also one of David's closest advisors and who confronts him during a very important moment in David's life, a moment that is rife with sin and transgression, which is why he talks about that so much in this psalm. And Nathan is essentially calling him out uh, from, this, um, from this sinful experience into something better. And so in order to understand, so we're going to put a pin in Psalm 51 for now. We're going to come back to it because uh, I think Psalm 51 has for us uh, really that, 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 that promise, that answer that we need today. Uh, but to understand how we get there, we need to really go back and understand David's story. Um, so we're going to turn in our Bibles now to, so, to 2 Samuel, uh, beginning in chapter 11, beginning in verse 2. Um, this is uh, one of the most famous um, chapters of David's life, literally and figuratively. Um, this is the story of David and Bathsheba. Uh, and you may have heard this story before, or maybe you haven't. But we're going to read through it all today, and then we're going to read the part of Nathan confronting David, and then we're going to talk about it. So, um, a little bit of background. If this is your first Sunday in church, David was the king of Israel that united the kingdom, the northern and southern kingdoms. He was a great conquering king. He was known as a warrior leader. Uh, he, he killed Goliath at an early age. He conquered the Philistines. He, conquered, he just conquered everybody. I mean, he was uh, the gold standard for Israel. And in fact, it was, you know, the, the legend of David is sort of where the Messiah comes out of. When we see Jesus, a lot of the Jewish community thinks that the Messiah is going to be uh, essentially a second coming of King David. That's how awesome King King David is for the Jewish people. That's how powerful of a king he was. And, and this story comes to us after he's, after he's united the kingdom, after he's established his power, and right before things are going to begin to fall apart. 
And I would argue that a lot of it begins to fall apart because of, of what he does here in this 11th chapter. So let's read this together. Um, it's going to be a little long, so just like, you know, settle in. It's okay, but it's a good story, and I can't tell it better than Scripture does. Honestly, this is one of those ones that's just really fascinating to read. So it says this, It happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking about on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to inquire about the woman. It was reported, this is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he laid with her. Now she was purifying herself after her period. Then she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Mm. So David sent word, to jo- sent word to Joab, this is one of his commanding officers, send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, came to him, David asked how Joab and the people fared and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the king's house with all of the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So we see David is trying to get Uriah to sleep with his wife so that he can cover up uh, his transgression. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, you have just come from a journey. Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah remain in booths. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do such a thing. So David wasn't expecting Uriah to actually be a man of righteousness, right? He's saying, all of the other soldiers, my commanding officer, they're out there in the field. Like, my job's not done. Who am I to go and go home and eat and drink and sleep with my wife? I'm not going to do that. That's not fair. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also, and, I, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day. On the next day, David invited him to eat and drink in his presence and made him drunk. In the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. So he even tries getting him drunk, thinking, surely that'll do it. No, Uriah is still clear-headed enough to do the right thing. In the morning, isn't the Bible interesting, by the way? You didn't think we'd be reading about this today. You're like, man, i got to read the Bible more. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him so that he may be struck down and die. So David is giving an order to make sure that one of his soldiers is killed in battle. As Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant warriors. The men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite was killed as well. We're going to keep going now, picking up in verse 22. So the messenger went... So after this, basically, uh, Joab is saying, we need to send a message to David to let him know. that I'm just skipping a few verses. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, the men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. This is really all David cares about. 
David said to the messenger, thus you shall say to Joab, do not let this matter trouble you. For the sword devours now one and now another. Press your attack on the city and overthrow it and encourage him. David's really torn up about this, clearly. When the wife of Uriah heard that her husband was dead, she made lamentation for him. When her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. So, just so we're clear, in the 11th chapter, great, awesome, wonderful King David um, compels a woman to sleep with him. By those standards, his right as king, but it's still an affair, even by those days' standards. By standards today, this is a woman who could not give consent. He compels her to sleep with him, and then has her husband murdered after he tries to, you know, um, manipulate him into covering up his own sin. So then... We pick up in chapter 12. But the thing that David has, had done displeased the Lord. This is when Nathan's going to conf- confront him. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his meager fare and drink from his cup and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was loath to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guest who had come to him. Then David's anger, remember he was a conquering warrior king, David's anger was greatly kindled against this man that Nathan's telling him about. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. Word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. See, the Bible is a fascinating thing, right? You get Old Testament, you get some Game of Thrones-style stories here, right? Um, And better writing than season eight, I I know that much. Um, Little jab. Um, You are that man. This is a really famous Old Testament scene of Nathan confronting David. And in this confrontation about David and his sin, a couple things leap out to me that I think are important to discuss. Because um, even though this story normally gets talked about, like last week in traditional services, I talked about the story in the context of lust. Um, Clearly, the sin of lust is at work in this story. I think that lust and laziness are, are connected a lot. And I see laziness in this story as well. A laziness that is then confronted by what David said in Psalm 51. It's after this confrontation that we can imagine Psalm 51 being spoken by David. So, um, a couple things in this confrontation. First thing is this. uh, David is not confused about right and wrong. Right? Like, that's really apparent to me. It's, it's, It's interesting to me that David does all of this awful stuff, and then when he's told this story by Nathan about a rich guy who stole a lamb, David's like, he deserves to die. And, and even though I don't think we should kill him necessarily, he should pay back fourfold for that lamb because that is just so wrong to steal a lamb, right? David's not confused about what's right and wrong. The, 
It'd be one thing if he had gotten it so twisted that he forgot his moral compass. But it's clear that David's moral compass is still there. It's just that he chooses not to follow it when he sees Bathsheba bathing on the roof. David knows that some things are right, some things are wrong. He understands righteousness within himself. He just doesn't choose to follow it for himself. And, of course, the irony that what David has done is so incredibly worse than the story that Nathan tells him, right? Nathan's telling a story about a guy who stole a sheep. I mean, that's bad. That's wrong. For someone who's living in what it sounds like is poverty, you steal that guy's sheep. I mean, that's livelihood, potentially. It's wrong. But it's not adultery and, and compelling someone to sleep with you and murder as a king. I want to ta- say this. Laziness is, is, is an interesting sin because how I understand my own laziness and how I understand laziness in the context of Scripture, especially David's story, is laziness is, is that deliberately ignoring what we know we ought to do. I put that word deliberately in there, deliberately. <laughs> laziness is deliberately ignoring what we know we not ought to, what we ought to do. I say deliberately because I'm not talking about um, not doing what we're supposed to do when there's like this mental block or um, honestly if we don't know what we're supposed to do or... In my own personal experience, people who battle depression or anxiety, there can be sort of those roadblocks to doing what you know you should do. We're not talking about that today. I don't want you to leave here beating yourself up for struggling with something like that. Laziness is when we deliberately ignore what we know we ought to do. It's, it's simply not executing the willpower to do what we know is right. That's laziness. And that's why I say it's one that we don't really talk about a lot because a lot of times it just feels benign because it's not that we're necessarily doing anything. We're just a lot of times not doing something, sort of the absence of of action. It's that sin of omission, right? How often in my life have I uh, looked at at something that I knew I was supposed to do, and, and if I'm being honest with myself, I could have done it. There was nothing preventing me from doing the right thing, and I just flat out chose not to. That's laziness. David knows it's not right to summon Bathsheba to his chambers. He knows it's not right to sleep with her. He knows it's not right to try to convince her husband uh, to go sleep with her so he can cover up his sin. He knows it's not right to then get him drunk to then do that. He knows it's not right to then send him into battle and make sure that his own army pulls back so that this valiant, righteous soldier will die in battle. He knows none of that is right. We know that he knows because he knows stealing a sheep is wrong. He just doesn't do what he knows is right. It's this run-of-the-mill laziness. It's, it's choosing the easy path. Reagan talked about how lust, you could say that lust is just choosing the easy path. I mean, that's David's story right here. He's choosing the easiest thing in front of him all of the time. And it's all self-centered. And it's all about what's going to benefit me in the short term. What's going to make me feel good in the short term. And it's just wrecking everybody's life around him, including his own. Deciding to just do what you know you're supposed to do is a lot of times, that, that's the battle that we face. Um, so, uh, on a lighter-hearted note, um, since I think we need that. Uh, so, a lot of people, even today, I got like three people say, hey, have you lost weight? And like, <laughs> yes, yes I have. Um, which is a big deal for me, because I've been rocking this dad bod long before I was a dad. And... Um, and, and I'd gotten very comfortable with that. I put on some weight, uh, some weight, about 30 pounds, shortly after we got married. Um, sorry, babe. And, um, and I just kept it, right? Because uh, the God's honest truth is, like I said, my, my sin that I struggle with the most is honestly laziness, just not doing what I know I should. And, um, 
Uh, I love Dr. Pepper. I love it so much. I love it in such an unhealthy way. I love fried foods so much. I love Whataburger patty melts so much. Like, it's Jesus, Reagan, Whataburger patty melts, Andy, right? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Little joke. Um, kind of. Um, kind of joking, kind of not. And for years, I've been telling myself, you know, you got to get a handle on this. Like, you can't keep this up. Um, and... Uh, for the longest time, you know, I would, I would try, and then I'd stop, and I'd try, and then I'd stop. And I'd make excuses. Oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. This, that, and the other. Um, and, and then I, I went online, and I was like, you know, what's, how do you lose weight? And, you know, a lot of people have been asking me, oh, how'd you, how'd you lose the weight? And, uh, and I want to be able to say, like, yeah, I started doing this, that, or the other. I did keto. I did whatever. Um, and, and the God's honest truth is I stopped treating my body like dog trash, right? Like, that's, that's it. Um, I, I went online looking for the easy out, like, how, best way to lose weight. What's the easiest way I can do this? And it's like, hey, unless you have a health condition that's keeping you from losing weight, it's basically a math equation. Calories in, calories out. Uh, if you're not burning enough calories, stop eating so much. And I was like, ooh, but is there a way I can eat so much and also lose weight? Because that's the way I want to go. Uh, and it's like, no, it's just math. So I had to stop drinking sodas, which was really hard. And people are like, like all together? Yeah. Like, I, I don't mean to equate my addiction to soda to any other addiction. But if I had a Dr. Pepper right now, it'd be like game over. Like, I'm that addicted to Dr. Pepper. Reagan's laughing because she knows it's true. Um, and just learning how to eat less and, and how to be okay being hungry a little bit. And I, I bring this up to say maybe weight loss is not your thing, and maybe you do have a health condition that keeps you from losing weight. I don't want you to go too far down this rabbit trail. My point in bringing this up is I had to wake up one day and decide, um, not for anybody else, uh, not for the sake of anything else, just because I needed to conquer a little hill in my life to say, okay, I'm finally going to address my weight. I've got to do this. And it's, it's, I know that it's nothing more than me just simply doing what I know I'm supposed to do. It's just willpower and effort. That's it. I can't make any other excuses. And, um, and that's worked. And who knows? A year from now, I may put it back on, and that's going to be part of my journey, right? But I wanna, uh, this week, I want to challenge us to consider what is that thing? Is it getting more organized around the house? Is it cleaning out the garage that's been a mess for you know, how many years? Is it wh whatever it is for you that you've been looking at this going for years, you've gone, I know I need to take care of it. I know I need to do it. I know I need to do it. I know I need to do it. And, and, and what if we identified that and said, okay, this week, I'm just, it's just willpower and execution, and I'm just going to follow through. I'm, and not for anybody else, but just for me. I want to prove to myself I can do this because it's really empowering. When you do something for yourself, to, to, to just because you know your, your body or yourself needs it and you actually follow through, I got to tell you, as someone who does struggle with depression, doing that was really great uh, for my own sense of self and my own health in more ways than one. So uh, that's the first little nugget. Second thing I want to talk about, so yeah, laziness, deliberately ignoring what we know we have to do. Second thing I want to talk about is how quick David is to call out for punishment for this guy, this figurative, not even real, this fake uh, rich guy. And he's like, he needs to be put to death. Um, that really jumped out to me, like how quickly David's anger burns in him. And I'll, I'm going to talk about that anger in just a second. But before we get there, um, how quickly he wants punishment for this guy. And it made me think to myself, how quick am I to excuse my own laziness, but then how quick am I to judge other people's laziness, right? Um, I am so quick to excuse my own laziness. Uh, I finally mowed my yard 
uh, this yesterday. It had gone unmowed for like two and a half, three weeks. And we're in like peak growing season. My backyard, I'll be honest, guys, I had mowed it in like six weeks. Like we have privacy fences in Plano, and I'm like, thank God, because that grass was getting high, and my neighbors couldn't see. Like it was bad. And of course, in my head, I'm going, oh, well, you know, I've just had a really busy couple of weeks, and yeah, yeah, you know, I've got all these excuses as to why I didn't. But then if I drive past a neighbor's house and their yard's kind of out of control, I go, oh my gosh, what's wrong with their yard? You know, like it's, it's so hypocritical. Am I the only one that does this, right? We, we make all the excuses in the world for the things that we're being lazy about, the things that really just require effort and, and follow through. And yet the people around us, we're so quick to judge. God, why can't they just take care of that? Why can't they just do that? Why can't they just follow through in that? It's like David looking at this rich guy going, oh my gosh, he needs to be put to death. I can't believe he would steal that sheep. And Nathan's going, uh-huh, look at your life. It's a good reminder to me to, so much of scripture I feel like says, says this in essence, that the person we need to be holding the most accountable is ourselves, and we, need to be, and we need to be extending compassion to other people, and I think we should have compassion for ourselves too, but if you're going to be only compassionate to yourself and not for others, then we've got it completely twisted, right? Um, one leadership guru quote that I love, I don't know anything about the author, so if you hate him and his work, I like this quote, okay, full disclosure, uh, Stephen M. R. Covey, I've never read his stuff, but I like this quote, we judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their behavior. That's true for me. Is that true for you? We judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their behavior. I can't believe my neighbor would let their yard get out of control, but you know, I've been really busy the last month. You know? I think it's really easy to point the finger and to judge other people, and we need to be not just compassionate for ourselves. We need to be compassionate for others, and we need to hold ourselves accountable. So, if I'm diagnosing um, one, and you could talk about David and Bathsheba for a whole sermon series, but those are a couple of things that I pick up on in Nathan's confrontation. But then we turn to this Psalm 51. And it's really a beautiful psalm. Now, it's, it's a hard psalm to read because there's a lot about sin and transgression, and maybe that's hard for you. Um, I, don't, I don't read this in a, in a pers- from the perspective of guilt, though. I, I see this as, as a man who so desperately wants to leave um, this sinful chapter behind. I, I think it reads as, as a man who understands the gravity of his sin and, and wants something better. And I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like uh, to, to recognize your own brokenness and want desperately for that kind of total heart transformation that we talk about in the Christian faith. Um, but I read this and I, know, I pick up on some language in Psalm 51 that, that it seems to be a running theme. You, in verse 6 it says, You desire truth in my inward being, Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. It goes on to say, create in me a clean heart, O God. Put me in a new and right spirit within me. It goes on to say, sustain in me a willing spirit. There's all this conversation in the psalm that, you know, for all the problems of his actions, for all the problems of his behaviors, um, David doesn't see the answer being a change in behavior, but really a change in, in this internal process in his spirit in his heart he realizes that what is happening here is naturally going to uh, bleed out here and that made me think about laziness and what really can be a answer uh, to to laziness and I, I think one answer and the answer that works for me this week is having an internal why I'm going to explain what I mean by that having an internal why you know I said that David you know he responds angrily to this story of this rich man and the sheep David had gotten used to being a conquering king. 
You know, he was called to be this righteous king that was going to unify Israel and is going to lead them in righteousness. But he really kind of got wrapped up in being this valiant warrior, killer, conqueror, right? I mean, he's the guy that killed Goliath. He's the guy that conquered the Philistines. He's the guy that, that won all of these battles. And I think he forgot that he wasn't ever called to be a conquering king. I think that he forgot he was called to be a righteous king, a king who did what he knew was right, what God had told him was right. And instead he gets so wrapped up in conquering and killing. And I see that in in 2 Samuel 11. He sees Bathsheba and this like conquering mindset takes over and it's a violent mindset and it's a destructive mindset. And so he goes and he decides to conquer Bathsheba. And then when he realizes that, he, that he's going to have repercussions for this because she's pregnant, rather than facing up and owning up and doing the righteous thing, he decides to go out and, and try to conquer Uriah and he ends up killing him. Like He's so wrapped up in this identity that isn't ever who he was supposed to be. And, and all of his behaviors come pouring out of that identity of being a conqueror and a killer. And that's not who David was meant to be. That's not the identity that God has for him. I think in a lot of ways, our laziness can be conquered when we have a greater sense of identity. I said earlier, I decided to get a handle on my weight, uh, not because, honestly, not because I wanted to have a better body for Reagan or because I wanted to be healthier for Andy. Like, I needed to do that simply because it was better for me. Because Scott Gilliland, the individual, wants to have a a, a health and a wellness that that he feels good about. Until we have that internal why, not an external why, but an internal why, that's about who we are and who we believe God's made us to be and and what we believe we're designed to do, Um, laziness is going to be a simpler answer. Laziness is going to be a simpler answer because we don't really have that internal motor that's compelling us to do something different. I want to talk about what that looks like. I came across an interesting story. Did you all know that we are 39 days away from football kickoff in the NFL Thank you, Jesus. Yes, yes. Say amen, somebody. Um, So as far as I'm concerned, it's basically football season. Um, So uh, I heard the name this past week, Damon Sheehy Giuseppe. Anybody know that name? There's really not any reason you would. I'm going to tell you who he is. He's a kid who grew up playing basketball. And uh, he was pretty good, but not good enough to get any offers playing basketball uh, going into college. And so um, he went and he, he joined a, a JUCO, all right, junior college uh, in Arizona, Phoenix College, not Phoenix, not University of Phoenix, Phoenix College, different thing. Um, and he played for the, he wanted to play for the JUCO basketball team, but he couldn't even make the JUCO team, right? So he's okay at basketball, but not great. So he decides to join, he goes out for the track team because he's pretty fast, and uh, he makes the track team. But then uh, he gets in a car accident, and it kind of messes up his, his dreams of being on the track team. So then um, he decides he's going to go out for the football team. Can't do basketball, can't do track, I'm going to try football, right? And um, doesn't make the football team, again, at this Phoenix College. And, uh, and so then he decides, I'm just going to start showing up for summer workouts for the football team, and maybe they won't notice, right? 
Here's the cool thing. They didn't, right? He just worked out with them all summer long. They had no idea this guy went on the team. By the end of the summer, they were like, wait, who is this guy? And they realized he wasn't on the team. But the coach is kind of like, I like your heart, kid. And he led him on the team. I mean, it's Phoenix College, right? You've never seen these guys play. I'm sure the coach is not like, you know, ooh, this is really going to screw up our chances to win the championship, you know. So uh, he ends up on the JUCO football team, right? And uh, he actually proves to be pretty good at football. What he's really good at is, is kick returning. He, he ends up being an all-American JUCO player uh, as a kick returner because he's got that track speed, right? And that's something you can't really be taught. He's just sort of got that natural ability. He, so he, he does really well that season, makes the all-American JUCO team, and he's waiting on offers from D1 schools. Nobody gives him a call, right? So then he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go get a credit card and max it out and drive to every one of the SEC schools and ACC schools to try to convince them to watch my tape and let me join their team, right? Really smart move. Um, By the way, this story is not like a story that we should all replicate. There's a point here, okay? Um, So he goes. He drives to every single one of these. uh, You know, he's, He's going to see like two dozen D1 schools. Only one of them actually gives him the time of day to watch the video, and they don't give him an offer. He gets nothing out of this, right? So he goes back. Um, he, he, he tries out for a bunch of Canadian Football League teams. I'm not sure what Canadian football is, but supposedly it's a thing. I don't know. Um, I, I'm kidding. I know what Canadian football is. That was just an American kind of joke. So um, he tries out for these CFL teams. Nobody calls him back. He tries out for arena football, right, which, like, on the rung of football is pretty down there. And uh, nobody calls him back. He ends up playing for a flag football league. I did not know they had this for adults. Um, he ends up playing a flag football league, right? So he's pretty rock bottom in terms of, of football prowess. Uh, and he overhears one of the players saying that he had a friend who had a friend who knew about an invitation-only workout for the Cleveland Browns. And he thinks to himself, that's my ticket in, right? A friend of a friend uh, who knows a guy who is involved with the Cleveland Browns invite-only workout. So he says, who's that guy? And they tell him his name's Alonzo Highsmith. And he looks him up, and he finds out this guy is like the vice president of player personnel for the Cleveland Browns. And so he does what any normal, rational thinking person does. He drives out to this invitation-only workout that he does not have an invitation to. He shows up to the front door, says, hi, I'm, uh, I'm Damon Sheehy Giuseppe, and I know Alonzo Highsmith, and I'm here for the workout. And they said, well, you're not on the list. He says, well, I know Alonzo. They said, okay, fine, come on in. So he talks himself in. He be lines it to Alonzo Highsmith says, hello, sir, my name is David Shee Giuseppe. I was not invited, but I want to work out. And here's the crazy thing. Alonzo Highsmith, former uh, player, he played in, at Miami and played in the NFL. Uh, he's got a son who happened to go to Phoenix College a few years before Damon did, who also tried to make NFL teams in these kind of workouts. And he basically thinks to himself, I like your heart, kid. You can stick around today. He works out. Now, this is a guy who hadn't gotten an offer or a callback from anybody ever in his life. He works out at this invitation-only workout. He leaves. 30 minutes later, Alonzo Highsmith calls him back, says, we want you to come back to an official workout. This was just an invitation-only one. This is kind of a small one, but we want you to come back to an official workout. He goes to that workout. Um, he doesn't have any money, so he ends up uh, sleeping outside, and then he got enough money to sleep in a gym, like a workout gym, uh, and he would charge his phone at the local laundromat, right? And he goes to this workout, and he does well enough that they say, okay, you can join the practice squad. And so now, Damon Sheehy Giuseppe, a guy's name you have no idea who he is, he's battling for the fifth or sixth receiver spot for the Cleveland Browns, like right now. Like he's at their training camp right now, this kid who couldn't even uh, make it onto the JUCO team when he first worked out, right? Now, why do I tell you this? I don't tell you this because I care that much about Cleveland Browns football. I don't. They barely play football. I hope he does well, right? (laughs) Um, I tell you this because that's a crazy story. 
right? Like, as you're listening to this, you're like, who in their right mind would do even, like, three of those things, right? Like, this guy is crazy, or is he? I don't think he's crazy. I think he's a little crazy. I don't think he's that crazy. I think what he is is he's someone who something inside of him, like deep, crazy motor inside of him says, I have to compete at the professional level as an athlete. I don't care if it's basketball or track or I don't care what it is, but I'm going to do this. And so no matter how many no's he got, no matter how many doors slammed in his face, like he just found a window and another window and like the little window in your bathroom that no one can fit through. He found that one, right? Like... There's something in him that is so desperate to have, this, to have this work that he's willing to do whatever it takes. None of us in the room would do any of this stuff to make that dream come alive. But here's the thing. That's because you don't have the same identity he does, right? This is something that is unique to him. He clearly did some soul searching at some point and said, this is, this is who I have to be. I've got to make this happen. Is it crazy? Sure. But I think he's got that kind of a motor. I think he's got, like, no laziness about this because he's so sold out to this being who he is and what he was made to do, and he's going to make it happen. My point is this. It is hard not to be lazy until we have our why. It only sounds crazy until you've got that same kind of internal knowledge of who you are, who you were made to be, and then all of a sudden making it happen gets a whole lot easier. Yeah, a whole lot simpler. Let's say that. Not always easy. His story is not an easy story. But I think the decisions for him were simpler to make because he knew 100% this is who I was made to be, and I've got to make this happen. So I don't know what your identity is. At this point, you might be saying, so what do I do now? I don't, I don't know. I, I know that you're probably not supposed to max out your credit card and drive to a bunch of D1 schools to make their teams, right? What I think that we're all supposed to do is we're supposed to do what David does. We're supposed to cry out to God. We're supposed to find God in a moment of prayer. And we're supposed to open ourselves up and say, you know, here's everything I know that isn't working. And God, I need a new and, and renewed and refreshed and, and a right spirit put within me. I need a why in my life. I need purpose in my life. I need identity in my life. Um, because until we have those things, these decisions are a whole lot harder until we're really clear about who God has made us to be, until we're really clear about what that inner motor is, these decisions are a whole lot harder. The things that I do uh, for Reagan or for Andy, they're easier to do because I know that's a part of who I am and that, that that's part of who God has designed me to be. So this week, I want us to adopt a spirit like David. I want us to turn to God in prayer. I want us to spend that difficult time. It's not lazy time. This is hard work time of getting real with who God has made us to be and what God is calling us to so that when we wake up in the morning and our feet hit the ground and we get out of bed, we can make those decisions that we know are hard decisions but we know are the right ones because we know who we are and we know why we're here and we know what God has designed us for. That's what I think we're called to do this week. I know that's what I'm called to do this week. I hope you'll join me in that. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. God, I didn't think I'd say this, but we give you thanks for the Cleveland Browns. We give you thanks for the story of Damon, who does some crazy stuff. Not because he's insane, but because he is so motivated by something deep inside that says you were made for this. God, maybe we're all a little bit like David this week. Maybe we've gotten it twisted about who we are and why we're here. 
we've allowed things to become the main thing in our life that were never meant to be that. Maybe we've been too focused on the wrong things. So God, allow us to, to take some time this week for ourselves and for you. Not out of laziness, but out of a desire to tune in to your spirit and your will so that you could speak to us in a way that only you can and give us that sense of purpose and identity that no one else can give us, that nothing else can give us. Set our hearts on fire. Give us that motor that wakes up in the morning and says, I was made for this. So that like Damon, we could be willing to do things that look crazy from the outside. But are simple decisions for us to make. Even the difficult ones are simple. Because we know it, it gets to the core of who we are and why we're here. God, we give you thanks for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray and we say, amen.